Scarpins Audio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Humans Who Make Games. I'm Adam Conover. On this podcast, I have a long-form, intimate conversation with one of the people who made your favorite games. And today, we've got an awesome, awesome episode. Today, I am interviewing, I'm so excited to say this, Alex Beecham, one of the creators of Outer Wilds. Now, if you've played Outer Wilds, you know how incredible it is. If you haven't, you might have heard of it because it topped almost everyone's Game of the Year list for 2019. This game is unbelievable. It's got this incredible environmental storytelling. It's got ingenious puzzles. It has a beautiful story. It has some truly incredible 3D uh, gravity-free navigation systems. It has some truly incredible. It has some truly incredible free-fall navigation. But what makes this game even more incredible is that it actually started as a student project, which means it's the creator's like very first real game, and it is one of the best games that most people who have played it have ever played. <laughs> so uh, it's truly remarkable, and the story behind it is incredible. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. Let's get right to it. Here's my interview with Alex Beecham. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I loved uh, Outer Wilds. We were just a moment ago before we started rolling. I streamed the whole game. You told me you happened across my stream of it. Yeah, just randomly. We were watching, looking for people streaming, and it's just like, <laughs> wait, they look familiar. We, oh my god, <laughs> uh, it was really cool. <laughs> did you? Uh, did I do okay? Like, what was I doing when you were watching? <laughs> it's hard to watch. <sighs> For the most part, you were, like, too good at it. <laughs> like, like you were Whoa. coming up with, like, solutions for things that, like, made logical sense, but we're like, but that's, like, not how it works. Um, Whoa, really? Like, there, do you remember what it was? There was one. I didn't watch, like, the whole, whole thing. Um, oh, because you didn't, you didn't figure out how to get to the quantum moon to right. land on it because it didn't make sense because you'd like thought about it to the degree where you're like, well, wait a second. And, and you're not wrong. Oh, it's... now I'm embarrassed because I was worried that you were going to say you watched that part because that was like a bit where I was like a little <laughs> critical of, I, I started, oh, I believe criticizing the puzzle design on stream. Cause I was like, I, I didn't feel that it, that it followed the rules that yeah. I had been led led to understand in the game. And so I was like, I don't know about this puzzle guys. I think I actually had to ask, uh, I've been, I actually asked my stream chat to give me hints, which I normally don't do, but I was sort of like, I want to wrap the game up. I was towards the end. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I was a little bit critical. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Sorry to like open with that. No, but, like, no, no. That was, uh, I brought that up just cause, um, I don't, I don't think, I think you're the only person I've ever see, like realize that. Mm. And like, that is something we talked about like in development like wait does this actually make sense like if you're thinking like aren't you technically looking at the clouds the whole time yeah um, and we were just sort of like eh, people will figure it's fine <laughs> like the rule still works and like it's been fine up until that i was like a son of a bitch like, uh, he's thinking about it too hard for folks who haven't played the game it was it's very hard it's very difficult to explain exactly what we're yeah. talking about but there's a thing in the game where the game is and i also don't want to spoil it but there's a uh, uh, although i should say folks listening 
expect mild spoilers. It's going to be hard to talk about. Here's that. a here's a spoiler spoilers. warning for you, but you know, we'll we'll if we cross any major thresholds, we'll mention. But there's like a mechanic involving quantum objects in the game that's like very deliberately set up of like here's how they work, and then there's a large quantum object that you have to figure out how to how to interact with later in the game. And uh, yeah, I had I had some quibbles about like, well, is that really how I was led to believe that it would work? Well, okay, good. I'm glad that. Um, uh, I'm glad that I didn't offend you with that. <laughs> oh my god, that's like literally why we're looking, like watching those streams, right? Um, is to find like uh, problems people have, sort of with understanding these sort of puzzles that aren't even supposed. To, we actually didn't start calling them puzzles until quite recently, like watching people play the game because they call them puzzles. Mm. Uh, they're always meant to be like sort of these systems that once you learn the rules, you're like, oh, I can do this. Um, so it's really important. It's the kind of game where like. If if you if like you do what you did, if you have a slight misunderstanding of sort of the rules at play, you can create these like wildly divergent hypotheses. Yeah. Um, and it's great if you can test those and be like, oh, I was wrong. I have to rethink this. But sometimes it's really easy for players to go off on sort of wild tangents. Um, yeah. And they get frustrated. So it's hard to balance that. Yeah. And it must be so strange because I, I assume you play test the game. Uh, but then when you're watching streams, it's like that's like a play test out in the world that you don't control. Yeah. But you're still learning stuff from it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. But also um, a lot of that. A lot of that stuff, like uh, those sort of larger the end game puzzles, that's the stuff we play tested the least just because it takes players the longest to get to that point. And it's hard to sit someone down for like 20 hours. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it's really cool to actually be able to use uh, or watch some people play in the wild, so to speak, uh, and see them naturally come across these things. Because, of course, we tried to play test them. But like it's always very artificial if you're like, well, assume you know this, this and this, like, please try to explore this for us. And it's like just not how the game's meant to be played. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny. I want to get to what we normally talk about on this podcast very soon, which is how you came to your work and, and what it's like for you to work on. But I, I just want to follow the thread for one more second because there's when you're designing a game like that, you, I assume, are thinking about what the player's experience is going to be while they're playing it. You're like imagining, okay, first they do A, then they do B, and then when C happens, their mind is blown, and then they, they start trying to puzzle through D, but then they get it, and they feel happy, or whatever. You've, yeah. You're sort of imagining that flow. And you're always wrong. About, that's what <laughs> I was going to say, is that like as opposed to a movie or TV, what I do, where I really am directing that experience, or comedy, where in stand-up comedy, I'm doing that to the audience. Yeah. I'm like, first I make them think one thing, then I make them think something else and they laugh because that's fun etc in you know th that must be like almost the core problem of designing a video game that people are going to do something totally different yeah that's just all it is you like have an experience <laughs> in mind and then you put it in front of people and they just do the opposite or they do some crazy thing you never imagined or oh that thing we introduced like way earlier like they think that's important um, yeah. and it's super reasonable uh, and you learn a lot and either you try to course correct to try to achieve the experience you were shooting for or you just like embrace what they did and just make, <laughs> you know, just change course entirely. Uh, it sort of depends. That's interesting too. Outer Wilds is such a, is so open-ended or not open-ended, but it's uh, almost random access in terms of how you super access the puzzles. It's yeah. like you can, from the moment you take off in your spaceship, again, for those who haven't uh, played the game, it's a, set in a solar system, different planets you can go to. There's different puzzle. I would call them puzzles on each planet. And some of those unlock, you know, you, you get into other areas of other planets and you try to solve a big mystery. But from the beginning, you can, you can go to any one of them that you like and it's not like gated, right? It's not right. like, oh, you can't go to planet 
B yet because you need to do planet A first and, you know, we'll slowly incline you in that direction. It's just, yeah, you can go to any planet at any time and start on any puzzle randomly. Yes. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Which was, uh, yeah, that was like a whole thing we had to deal with, right? Like, that was like a gradual thing of like, uh, it was terrible at first. And then you start realizing like, oh, no, if they go to Giant Steep first, like the gravity's all, they just don't know how to use the jetpack. Uh, and that's why you'll like the, the boost there's there's specific button prompts that show up on a couple of the islands on giant steep and nowhere else in the game hmm yeah i like, noticed some prompting like that yeah, yeah and it's because like if you go there first uh, and you've never used that before you're just going to have no idea how to go a jetpack across those chasms because the gravity is so high man i could really talk to you about this part of it forever but i want to <laughs> i want to learn more about you yeah. uh where did you grow up i am from michigan oh, okay and what part of Michigan? Oh my God! Um, can can I? I don't know if what's visible on this. The hand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do the mitten. I, I do the mitten. Um, so I grew up in Charlevoix, uh, and along with my sister Kelsey, who's the writer on the project. Ah, cool. So we grew up in Mich- uh, northern Michigan, and then moved down to Holland, and then we down by Toledo, but still in Michigan. And then I went to school at Michigan State before coming out to LA to go to the graduate program uh, USC. Cool. My. Uh... My mom's family is all from the Upper Peninsula, which is the part that oh, isn't yeah. the mitten. <laughs> it's, it's, you have to like twist, use your, there's a way to use your other hand to do that. I can't do it backwards. It's like this whole other part of Michigan that like nobody, it's honestly the main part of the country that most people never think about. It's <laughs> true, actually. It's like the forgotten state. It kind of, it kind of is. It's like a couple, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful, oh, yeah. wonderful place. Uh, but yeah, my, my, Richard uh, Rocks is gorgeous. Visited Marquette, Michigan many times. Um, and but spent so little time in the Lower Peninsula. Uh, in, in any case, uh, well, so what's your, what is your first memory of video games? Oh, oh my God! This is I, my this is my uh, interview, my patented interview starting question. This is actually kind of perfect because the first, uh, so we got uh, like a PC when I was very young when we were still living in Charlevoix, and I remember the first game we loaded up on there was uh, the Magic School Bus Explores the Human Body, and it was wow. like a point and click kind of adventure game. Yeah, it's all about CD-ROM, like, science CD-ROM. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's funny just because I, I think the first clip I ever saw of Adam ruins everything was the Thanksgiving Magic School Bus themed, uh, <laughs> where they like, you know, did the whole uh, oh, right. Columbus actually came and murdered right. a bunch of people. Um, <laughs> so Magic School Bus, I don't know, we go way back. <laughs> incredible, incredible. That was a great, I forget if we talked about this in the first season of the podcast, but like that era of CD-ROM game where it was like, uh, w- like was it the thing where there's like this tableau and you click on stuff and stuff pops out and there's like messages and things? Yeah, this was... Like this game was like you'd start out in like the classroom and there'd just be a bunch of it was pretty much just click on the room and everything's interactable. And sometimes yes. a mini game would pop up. I remember like the Magic School Bus space game, which is kind of appropriate to Outer Wilds. Uh, you could they'd actually have side scroller platforming segments with different gravity for each planet. Oh, cool. Which was, uh, yeah, I was into that. It was pretty cool. <laughs> um, and when, when how old were you at this time? Oh, my God. Um, six or i mean yeah. we moved away when i was nine so it you know somewhere in between like this was five at, and nine this was at school you said no this was at home actually oh, this is at home okay. yeah yeah we had a, that's just when we got our first computer that got was sort it. of the first thing and then your friends had like super nintendos or nintendos and, yeah um i remember getting really into the star wars rebel assault series i never played had. those uh, they're not good, but at the time I was like, oh my God, I have a joystick. I can like fly the Millennium Falcon. Like, this is incredible. What kind of games did you have access to? Like, it, did, what, you know, 
was did you have a console of your own kind of experience? Not until much later. Uh, we had Game Boys for a little while because we'd mm-hmm. go on car trips. The the thing that sort of I came to video games much later, but in retrospect, the kind of moment was going over to a friend's house when I was like ten uh, and playing Ocarina of Time on their N sixty four. That was sort of the and, and then that sort of. I'm a huge Zelda fan, and that was sort of the beginning of that. Um, but then that, we, we had our Game Boy, so we got like the little, the Oracle, I think, yeah. seasons games on the Game Boy. That was your first Zelda, uh, was, was Ocarina. Ocarina at a friend's house, yeah. I would like do the puzzles, and he would like do the combat. It's so funny. I, I, I don't know. I think one of the interesting things about video games is that there's so many, like, you're a Zelda fan. I'm a Zelda fan, but I'm a little older than you. My first Zelda was, was Link to the Past. Right. And that will always be like my formative Zelda. And Ocarina, I'm like one of those people, I'm like, that game was good. Doesn't hold up that well. Link to the Past, I think, is like the ultra classic, you know, et cetera. Da da da. Uh, but there's still this, like, even though everyone enters the stream at different times, there's like, especially with Nintendo, there's this like continuum that, carries you along does that make sense yeah I, I mean i think they're weirdly starting to go their newer games oddly feel almost more like their yeah. older games there was like this weird period in the middle but yeah i think there's this cool through line where no yeah. matter where you enter you can still sort of appreciate every end of that spectrum yeah i read some analysis that like um uh or maybe some speculation that there's like a new wave of designers at nintendo who feel like sort of re- they they love to them it's like uh uh, like old classics that they want to bring back kind of in a yeah. way rather than, oh, we were, we're moving on. Oh, that's our old work. They're like, no, 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 like Link to the Past. Like that was great. We should draw from that directly, um, which is really interesting. Oh, that's cool. I, it seems right. I love that they're doing that without it just being a rehash. Yeah. They're like picking the right things from those old games. Yeah. Oh, a- absolutely. Um, I love like when I one of the things that made me jump back in with Nintendo a couple of years ago was a link between worlds, uh, yeah. because that was I loved link to the past. I'm like, oh, they are doing a successor to that. And they really did embrace the design principles of what made that game fun. The things in that game that had never been reproduced in any other Zelda game, they were like, let's do that again. Um, like the verticality of the 2D levels and, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, well, what about Ocarina like made it stand out to you? I mean, that was that was one of the first. That was like the first 3D game I ever played that felt like a world in the TV. Mm. There's that moment where the Great Deku Tree's mouth opens, and it's like, "All right, come inside." And there's a whole dungeon in there, and that's just <laughs> my brain uh, had exploded. Yeah, uh, that's not even before you you know you, you get out to Hyrule Field, which is the classic moment. Everyone's like, "Oh my God, Hyrule Field! It's so big!" Like, <laughs> yeah. no, it's just going inside of a tree. I was like, "What? <laughs> no way!" Um, did it? Did Hyrule feel? <laughs> Did Hyrule Field feel that big? Because I had that reaction to it, and then I. But I also remember thinking, "This isn't as big as like I thought they said there's it was going to be." It. Yeah, <laughs> it's it like a pea hat in a house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's like holes. There's those. Right. It's, yeah, <laughs> that, that was the odd thing where there's a lot of secrets in that game, but they're all holes. Yeah, and then you go in the hole. All the holes look the same inside. It's all just like an insect and maybe a puddle of water and a cow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird. But at the same time, it was like the first step towards having like anything close to like a 3d yeah world that existed apart from like it wasn't like mario where it was levels it was uh it was like a space that you were traversing yeah yeah that sense of contiguous like i'm just opening the map and i'm a sucker for whenever there's a game map and they like occlude most of it until you've explored it Mm -hmm. and like that was the first i think time i encountered that and 
just the sense of mystery it created, like all these crazy places they're teasing at. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I'm still a sucker for that kind of stuff. I mean, this there's a very clear connection to Outer <laughs> Wilds here, right. right? With the with the openness of that map and and how much like every planet you haven't been to yet is a like a treasure that you get to you know oh I haven't been to this one yet what is it gonna be like like it has that same sense to it yeah that's super fair <laughs> I mean uh, yeah no uh, just directly well so um, you you said you came to uh, video games later how did how, what do you mean by that um so for a long time so because I went to I went I came out here to go to USC's interactive media master's program uh, and the reason I did that is because in undergrad I actually at first, I was going for mechanical engineering, uh, and I was trying to do uh, film at the same time. They had sort of like a telecommunications video production program. Uh, and then at some point, I was like, oh, what I really want to do is be a filmmaker. And then sort of at the 11th hour, I realized, like, wait a second, I've been into games for so long, and mm. there's sort of this weird middle point between, like, they're more technical in a lot of ways than film. Like, you have to program. You have yeah. to build worlds. There was an allure to building worlds that still had to sort of physically function. Mm. Which is like not to say they don't in film or like film is somehow easy or anything like films are crazy. Um, but there's something really cool. Like you can technically still flub a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. Right. And like a video game, like um, like like we made a game about time travel and we had to like make it work in a very <laughs> literal sense. Right? right. Like plot holes aren't allowed because like you're just doing it. Right. Yeah. In film, it's like there doesn't have to be. In fact, there never is any reality outside of the frame. Like if you were to take any frame of any movie ever made and just like pull out one foot, right. you would see like lights and water bottles on the ground and like crew members hanging out just outside and like shit that's not painted on the back and, and et cetera. Like there's no, it's all the illusion of like cohesiveness, but in games it sort of actually has to exist. Yeah. In a, like the fictional sort of. model has to be yeah. yeah if you're gonna let you explore like i guess it depends because a lot of games not your what you're talking about like they do exactly that right like people are, like do the no clip stuff where they're like pull the camera out and you're like oh my god they do it's true they do do that they do hide stuff and make it disappear but um like i was reading in uh uh i think a rock paper shotgun piece on, on outer wilds that like you you had you had to like keep the model the physics model of the game like consistent as you were yeah we we definitely went hardcore in the other direction where like, no, everything you see is just, that's what it is. Um, yeah. Uh, cause I, because that's sort of, you know, something we, we thought was, we find interesting about, you know, games as opposed to other media is that like, yeah, it's all just there in a world and working. Yeah. Um, and so that, so that drew you to it. Yeah. That, and, and sort of the idea that because games are so much newer, uh, felt like there was more, sort of space to explore uncharted territory mm -hmm. or, or not that there's not in film, but like it'd be easier in games yeah. because there's so much younger and there's so many on things that haven't been figured out about them. Yeah. I always compare it to like the, where, where we are now to being like, like the fifties in film maybe, or, or yeah. some, something like that. Yeah. We're definitely not like at the very beginning. There's been classics, but there's still a lot to figure out. There's still technical achievements being made and there's still like a, a frontier aspect to it to some extent yeah exactly it's like there's some like the frontier that remains is like bigger than the frontier like in film and so yeah where it, there is very little frontier right or you have to really kind of seek it out um and so i don't know just a combination of those things it was just like oh wait a second I should probably learn how to make video games um <laughs> and i was fortunate enough to be able to you know go to grad school at usc for it had you been before that, you had been into games. Had you 
had game design ideas like in the back of your mind up and you know before then you were like oh wait this is something i could do like did, did was that there in for you yeah um so uh my sister and i had a bunch of crazy games we played growing up mm. um but we both um oh my god there was so many uh so i one of the first like more like i guess formal versions of this was we had this like bigger version of lego called duplo Oh, just yeah. like Legos for toddlers or something. Yeah. Um, and, and they're would... compatible with Legos is the best thing about them, right? Are they really? Yeah. I remember that the whole great thing about Duplos is the Duplos can like slot into the Legos. So you can build hybrid Lego Duplos structures. Oh, my God. I never well, figured that out. <laughs> it's like amazing. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but go ahead. No, I, I, I would build these like Duplo levels out essentially and we have these little characters and my sister would like play them and she'd have a little like duplo joystick and i would just like use my hands to move the characters based on her movements and there were rules for like how far they could jump and they were pretty much like these old school adventure games like i think we'd been playing indiana jones and the infernal machine at the time and so a lot of stuff was like there was like that kind of a game like yeah like these solving these puzzles and there's characters and you're like and I would like draw out the level designs on graph paper so that I could recreate them later because we didn't have enough to just have these all existing at once. Wait, this is blowing my mind. This is like an amazing game prototyping method you came up with <laughs> as a child. I haven't used this since, actually. I, I need to go back and like turn these like into like 3D models just for, for fun. Yeah. Uh, and Kelsey would do would do some of her own. She had a Bessimon, which was like Pokemon, but with cows. <laughs> That's wonderful. So we would just like, but like none of that, at no point, I think because of the programming barrier, at no point was I like, oh, I could go do this. Just, you know, like people yeah. didn't make video games in my mind for some reason. And at our studio, Mobius, uh, everyone else who you talk to about like how they came into the industry, there's a lot, a lot of people have the same like, oh, I just didn't realize humans made yeah. games, which I'm just realizing is the name. Of or here. you imagine, well, people in Japan are making the games or, you know, it's like, you know, there's a company, but like right. you it's, could never work at that company. Exactly. It's like too abstract. Um, yeah. And like for me, like programming just seemed like this thing I would never know how to do. So why, you know, let's do film instead. But it is kind of amazing. I just want to go back to this idea that like, yeah, programming is hard. It's one of the most difficult things about making games. But if you just have a human who's executing the game like <laughs> right right like you don't need programming you don't need programming if, like you could just like create like yeah you don't need to you, you could just do mario yourself and have respond to the uh inputs directly that's like a really ingenious <laughs> way to do it it's like basically uh, having a dungeon master for a platformer or something like that yeah i was gonna say it's <laughs> a lot like a D, right just like yeah. weirdly physical i just remember like we didn't it was too hard. To, like her motions with the joystick were like obvious, easy enough to like tell which direction she meant to yeah. go. But like a jump button was like too much, so she just said "doing," <laughs> and that was the command to jump. And it was just like an honor system. Like, did she do it too late and she falls off the edge, or like? So we would like argue about that. Like, no, I jumped in time. It's like, yeah, because just me. Like, this is wonderful. But um, you didn't have hearing you talk about that. I'm like, well, you that's that's game design. Like at the yeah, time, you were it, like, well, I don't know how to program, but like, right. you don't need to know how to program to design a game. No, it, it, totally. And that's um, that was a realization. And then later, I learned how to program, um, and it, which was also you know fine. It's like not nearly as scary. Um, but yeah, it's weird how at the time you don't think of that as making a game necessarily. Well, you should absolutely recreate those with. Yeah, I want to. I'd like to see them. Well, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Alex Beecham.
we're back with Alex Beecham, creator of Outer Wild. So you're at USC, uh, grad school, going to grad school for video games. I didn't know USC had such a program. Like, yeah. What do you do there? <laughs> what, <laughs> yeah. what goes on? That's that's pretty fair. Uh, yeah, when I um, it's a it's a really cool program, and it's three years, and the third year you do a thesis project, but the first two years you're taking different classes. Uh, the first class you take there actually. Um, they have you make board games essentially, huh? Um, which is which is really like you know no programming. It's just yeah. like let's talk about like what games are and sort of. Uh, I think the first assignment is taking this existing game called Up the River and modding it into your own game, mm. board, into your own board game, pretty much. Um, and th- that's really cool. There's all sorts of different. Uh, then you're like playing it with the other yeah, th- students. So and... the, the big thing I learned from USC uh, and also with the other people on on the team. So Lone Verno, who went to the, was in the same class as me at USC. Um, and Lone Verno is the other designer on Outer Wilds, yeah. and also uh, he was producer for a while, and he sort of um, helped start the company uh, with Masi, which I'll uh, probably probably get to. Uh, and so because um, we talk about this uh, and. Like one of the things USC really taught us was the value of playtesting and how like the best laid plans, the instant you put them in front of someone, they just fall to pieces. Right. And so like that first assignment, it's like an you know, just a lesson in in, in what it what it's like to sit and watch someone play this thing you made <laughs> and try to figure it out. Uh, they make you like write the rules down. They, the, the player has to figure out how to play the game by reading your rules and like right. it's just like this fascinating I I'd never done anything like that. Um um, but but it's a very they focus a lot on like this iterative approach. This idea you make something, you put it in front of people, and then you know you you kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. And you adjust and you change based on if they had a good time and if your goals were achieved. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of yeah. Again, it goes back. Yeah, choosing how to iterate. Like, do you just? It's always this. Uh, it's always interpreting what because like playtesters will say what they want sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's up to you to you have to figure out what they actually want mm-hmm. versus what, you know, they say, they're like, do this, but like, you should almost never do exactly what a play tester <laughs> suggests. It's usually, it's it's getting to the kernel of like, well, what is the problem? Yeah. Um, which is really, fa- it's like a fun puzzle or, or maddening sometimes, but, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to figure out like, okay, what's actually going on here and like, how do we adjust it? And then different people have such different play styles. Yeah. Um, which happened in Outer Wilds. Uh, just people play things so differently it's you just have to do a lot of them to kind of figure out how to cater to each type of person in a weird yeah i don't know it's uh yeah that's really that's really fascinating uh, like I, so i i i almost have trouble conceiving of how someone could play a game other than the way that i play it you know <laughs> like i play very exploratorily like decades of playing video games has caused me to like you know when I enter a new area like I almost like explore the periphery to like understand what all the options are first before I choose an option so I sort of like I'm narrowing down and I sort of like the way I play is true of board games too it's like that once I understand everything then I'm done like if I understand how all the mechanics work if I understand all the lore in the game etc but then other people play I don't know, in such a more focused, like, I want to win, or they play in a sort of, I don't know, it's just like, it, it's such a strange feeling like when you watch someone else play something, because like, oh, that's not how I would approach that. It's it's really weird. I, I'm more like you with, like, exploration things. I sort yeah. of, like, I enter a room, and I'm like, all right, where are all the doors out of here? Where'd I come in? Let's, like, methodic. I don't want to miss anything. Yeah. Um, and Outer Wilds is almost designed with, like, to, to 
subvert that tendency mm. in players, which I don't know how completely successful we were. How so? Um, uh, well, like we try really hard to never hide anything like in a weird nook. We, we, we try to disincentivize people from like exploring every nook and cranny. It's mm -hmm. like it's really we try to make it super obvious where the sort of quote unquote content is because mm. um, we wanted that to be a game where you're exploring really intentionally. You're like, I want to know the answer to this. So I'm going here because uh -huh. this thing I read over here told me the answer was there. And you're not like it, it, you're, you don't feel like you have to sort of like scan yeah, you know, like lawnmower approach, like there's devour. Rel there's relatively, there's like one or two, there's like the city area, I can imagine, where you have to sort of scour or where you can scour and say, I, I went through it twice, made sure I saw everything. But apart from that, it's like, yeah, you're trying to get to one location and once you're in it, you can basically see everything that there is to do there and then you do it and you're like, it's done. Right. And that's sort of why we put in the ship log that like, there's more to explore here because we're just like not Most useful feature. interested in like that kind of play. We Right. It's not. We're not trying to challenge the player like that you get everything. Yeah. Um, it's more of like, where are you where are you choosing to explore and why? And even in the city, that's sort of why I agree with you. It kind of that's those are like the locations where it kind of turns into that. But like that's why those are stratified into those clear districts mm -hmm. because each district has like one important thing to find. Yeah. Um, but it's tricky. So that was the kind of concept that you that you learned in that school at um, USC. Yeah. Just. I mean, how to play test, yeah. uh, how to iterate on things, um, just being willing to kind of throw out ideas and try <laughs> something new. Uh, it was really cool. So the third year was a thesis year, and they sort of uh, encourage you to do something that uh, doesn't have to be, like, revolutionary, but it's sort of, you know, poking in an interesting, like, direction in, mm -hmm. in the space of, like, interactive media that maybe hasn't been done before, hasn't been done in that way before, you know, trying to do something kind of new. Um, and that was like a really cool prompt. Uh, we had a, a class called thesis prep kind of leading into that where they gave us a bunch of just like fast prompts doing quick prototypes. And a lot of the prototypes I did in that class sort of got kind of coalesced into Outer Wilds because mm. Outer Wilds was my thesis project. That's what I was going to ask. I, I thought that it was. That's, yeah. So literally the game that I played started life at, at grad school. Started. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. We had We had a team there. Um, you know, it's my thesis, but also like Loan was working on it because uh, we worked on each other's thesis projects. Kelsey was writing on it. Uh, Andrew Prala, who is the composer, uh, started composing as a student and, you know, while it was a student project. Um, and we worked with some programmers from Viterbi and some artists from uh, LCAD and Atlantic College. And uh, yeah, at the end of that year, we had what was pretty much the alpha. Wow. Version like, which is still, I think you can still find it on the internet wow. somewhere. Um, is that is that rare? Like I, I've heard of, you know, I know that uh, Portal got its life as a student project famously. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, at, at DigiPen, and, I believe. And uh, but it, so that I can that's one other example I can think of. But is that like the point of this program at USC or are the people your are your professors like, whoa, you guys made a real game. We thought you were just going to, you know, goof around <laughs> like your students. Well, I, so like not everyone in my class actually was trying to make a game even, which is really, really cool. Yeah, that was like one of my favorite things about that program. And I can't believe I, the other like maybe the biggest benefit of, of going there was sort of 
just getting to work with a bunch of people who had all sorts of different backgrounds and interests. Because mm-hmm. um, like it was in my year specifically, it was like me, Loan, like a couple of other people who are making like, you know, very like, oh, those are video games. Um, but a lot of people are making cool things with like medical applications, like you Whoa. know stuff for like people with autism or like, oh, I want to make a game that teaches organic chemistry. Uh-huh. Uh, and just like these really cool, you know, serious or not sort of a, just interactive media in like the broadest sense. And so, but there was precedent um, a few years before me, uh, Genova Chen oh, okay. went through, and uh, I believe his thesis was, it was either cloud or it was flow, mm-hmm. um, but that directly led into sort of what they're doing. Awesome. Uh, who, can I just ask, where, you know, where this program came from? Like, who, who are the people? Because this sounds like a really interesting approach, and I'm sort of curious about, like, whose idea was this and what's their background, if you know anything about it. Oh, my God. I feel like I totally shouldn't if they're listening. <laughs> like, uh, Tracy Fullerton uh, has a lot to do with sort of where that program is now. Um, I want to say Scott Fisher. Um, Scott Fisher, I, my, my, I, he was definitely there, like a big key player in the beginning of it. Yeah, because um, it sounds like it just sounds like a very, uh, it sounds like a very cool game, like school, you know, program. And it, being such a young field, I think that's still kind of rare. You know, you don't hear about that many places that are you know, would go about teaching it in that way from a, yeah. from a design perspective. Talking from people who have gone there since, it, it, and I don't want to like, I, I feel like it has shifted a little more in the like game-centric direction. Mm-hmm. Like it used to be, like when I went there, it was the interactive media division. Now it's the interactive uh, media and games division. I see. Um, so I think it might be drifting in that direction, but it's still, yeah, I, I agree. It's like a, I can't imagine having learned, I can't imagine having made the the project we made without having gone through that pro- program. When you joined the program, like, was this your goal to no. <laughs> to create a game and then for that game to become a company and then for that? Well, no, actually, not at all. So, so actually, what happened at the end? Um, so I should be really clear: the alpha is like not a finished game. Uh, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Well, yeah. But like the same planets, but like it's super rough. Half the planets were like me and going into Maya with like a sphere and like extruding things. Like it looks, <laughs> people are like, oh, it's like an old PS1 game. Just like that's charitable. Oh, uh, and, and what was the idea? I'm sorry to parenthesize no, no. this question here, but you said that the they wanted you to poke at something innovative that hadn't been done before. Uh, that there's yeah. like a central idea. What was that for this project? Um, there were a couple. It started with the. Um, really wanted to make something that so one was making something where the world changed over time mm. but in a way the player had like no control over mm. um and the reason for, and that's sort of where i wanting i feel like going into thesis here was this like i really wanted to make a space exploration game because this is like seven years ago at the time there were very few mm. games that were like oh that's about space exploration as opposed to combat or some other right. no like, no oh, man's sky yet or anything right like that, that hadn't yeah. been announced yet um it's like i'd be really cool to make a game that was like about space exploration but like in the like we shouldn't be here humans are fragile mm. what are we what, what, this is a mistake <laughs> but oh we're so curious <laughs> right um but like that on its own wasn't an, a thesis. So it was trying to find, uh, you know, the interest, like sort of, yeah, what is the thing pushing it? And so one of those was sort of, oh, we're going to make a game where the whole world's constantly changing and evolving and you're exploring this place that's not just staying, it's not just a static world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's sort of, that's the reason the time loop exists is so we could get away with planets falling apart. So you could repeat that over and over yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. A- as you're playing, the planets are like degrading. There's like, 
this sort of you know, there's this cataclysmic event happening and then so but of course to play for longer than 20 minutes you need to do that over and over again right and originally there was actually a point where we were like wait is this time loop like part of the story or is it just like a thing we're gonna do um <laughs> like is it just like a roguelike and you're like oh it'd be it's more interesting if we can just make it part of the story um and so we did <laughs> um and it worked out uh but yeah the original reason for the time loop was just sort of to get away with having irreversible things happen on like a really big scale because mm-hmm. we wanted that sense of this is a world that doesn't revolve around the player it's not a power fantasy um and then the other the other thing that came a little bit later was this idea of curiosity driven exploration mm-hmm. where a lot of games either sort of tell you what your goal is or they don't tell you anything but you, you kind of just you kind of wander around and it could be really cool and chill but you know, it doesn't feel too like focused. And it was yeah. like, well, can we do somewhere in the middle where like the player finds something that sort of teases a question or like, oh, something this area is mysterious. And if you the player can choose for themselves to go investigate, but the game's yeah. not gonna tell them to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that and that's the experience of playing Outer Wilds. Yeah. You're like, oh what's okay, hold on. There is a sun station. Like, what is this? What is the deal with it? Okay, I want to figure <laughs> it out. Okay, that's what I'm doing this session. I'm gonna go figure that out. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, a lot of a lot of what we struggled with over the course of development was like, how do we get people to like realize how to, like we, we don't want to tell you to do this at any point. You know, we tried mm-hmm. really, really, really hard to have no, you know, no one's like, you have to go to the sun station. Right. There's no um, mission. Uh, right. At the beginning of the game, there's no quest giver. And so it's just a question of like, how do you get people to do those things without, <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you inception it into their brains? Right. Like, no, you want to go to the sun station. <laughs> and then, and then what about the, just the general mechanic of it being like a tiny solar system is such a, I thought such a beautiful and unique format, you know, uh, that, that made it, it, it almost gave that promise that you wanted from No Man's Sky a little bit that I never quite got of like, actually feeling like you're landing on a planet, flying from one planet to another. And the reason that it ends up working is because it's like teeny tiny, right? It's like a little, yeah. it's almost a little diorama. Um, the the distances are are somehow not as great, but it still is operating like a, like a solar system. Was that, uh, where did that idea come from? That was actually the first thing. Oh, okay. Um, because uh, this is like before it was even Outer Wilds or anything. It was literally just like, can I make, what, what would first person Mario Galaxy be like in Unity, the game engine we use? It was sort of like just like a, yeah. an experiment. And then it was like from there, it's like, wouldn't it be cool if you like get into a little spaceship and walk around it and like fly and then yeah. like with realistic physics. And I don't know, just sort of that ended up getting roped in because it's like, oh, can we make these planets move? Oh my God, we can. Um, yeah. I, I don't remember super clearly. It was just once like the bare bones of it were up and running, it was just. It was like, yeah, this is cool. Let's just yeah, and it's just fun to yeah. Like you are on a planet and you press R two and you take off. You're like, oh, gravity's operating on me. I got far enough away. It's not anymore. Getting close to something else, you fall into its gravity well. It just like there's an immediate fun to like playing around with that kind of movement. Yeah, and on on a certain level, it's like, well, if the planets are this size, we can make a whole solar system for a student project and like, get away with it, right? <laughs> uh, and and things and also because it's so small, things move so much faster. Yeah. Um relative to each other like you're like oh my god there goes the hourglass twins um just because it's so small yeah. but gravity is like kind of the same um and that sort of fed into the it just makes it feel that that goal we had of like oh the world doesn't revolve around you you're not in control it kind of feeds into that because just these things are hurtling through space yeah uh, which is not 
something you realize if you're watching like even like a space movie that's like really realistic and that's like i don't know it's just cool the idea of like there is no absolute frame of reference like mm. i can be moving you know you can jump out of your ship and it's just like hurtling through space but it just feels like you're floating next to it until you look down at the planet that you're orbiting right yeah and it, it, in a weird way making everything smaller amplified all of these sort of space yes. feel things that you don't usually get to just see with the naked eye yeah you get that feel talking about getting you know getting out of your spaceship like in the middle of space you I felt like vertigo whenever <laughs> I did that. I was like, oh, I'm I'm so I could I'm floating around in the middle of nothing. And like the moments at which like, you know, there are a couple of times playing where you are actually don't have your ship anymore and you are just floating in space in your little spacesuit and you feel so lonely and like uh paralyzed. You're you're unable to go anywhere. You know, it it has that it it, it you experience that deep space feeling. That's awesome to hear. <laughs> Honestly, like we, we, that was that was the goal. <laughs> just want people to feel paralyzing fear of space. <laughs> well, and it's so amazing what happened. I mean, that happened to me in in No Man's Sky as well. I remember the first time, like you know, warped into a new place, and and I was mm -hmm. like, oh, it's so big, and I'm so little, you know. Um, it's true. Like, there's a, definitely an upside to having everything big. Yeah, like that that overwhelming sense of. But it but it gives you this weird sense of um, risk and fear. Uh, that you don't normally feel in a video game, like like it's, I I notice when I pay it I I pay attention to the moments when I'm playing a game and I actually feel frightened, uh, not just like oh something's gonna jump out at me, but like oh no what if I can't get back or what if I and and you know I I get that uh, a similar sense to you know when I've actually been out you know, on the ocean, for instance, and been worried about getting back to my boat or something like that, you know, where you have that sense of vertigo. Oh, no, I'm I'm adrift. Yeah. You know, and, and actually feeling that in a game is like so rare because games are mostly safe spaces where you can't ever really fuck up that much. Right. You like can feel the harness on you, even if. Yeah. You like know you're on a roller coaster. And there were times in yeah where you just mess up in in Outer Wilds and you're just like oh no, I'm like in the vastness <laughs> of space here. Um, well, so getting back to my earlier question, yeah. um, how did you did was this your goal when you joined or when you entered USC or when you started the game was to do this or no no not at all. Um, what was it? Then? I mean, I was excited. I was excited by the idea of a thesis, getting to spend a year. Um, to just kind of experiment and, you know, do whatever you wanted is just like an incredible privilege to have. Um, going to USC, well, part of it was because, so I, I mean, I decided to switch to kind of going into video games at when I was a senior in undergrad. Mm. And I spent that last year. Like, oh, were you at USC then? I was in Michigan State. Oh, God. Yeah. You, you said earlier. Yeah. Sorry. No, no. Was, uh, and I spent that last year, like learning Maya, learning to program, like, trying to you know applying to things um and then usc was sort of like okay let's learn let's learn how to make this stuff and the goal <laughs> was just sort of like you know get, get a job afterwards honestly yeah. it's like make a lot of cool stuff while i have the chance and kind of get to play in a sandbox and i think that's like the coolest thing about school especially like grad school is just having like time to just sort of explore the things you want to explore 
uh, it's just a really cool opportunity. Yeah, that is the privilege of higher education, isn't I, it? That's it, yeah. the same thing I had in my college experience that led to me doing comedy was just, oh, cool. uh, you know, doing uh, making comedy with my friends and having the opportunity to do that at our school, having the support of the school to, like, let us use their Max with Final Cut Pro on them and to let us throw a show and stuff like that. Like, that space is... A true privilege. Yeah, it's just yeah, this yeah, the space to just think about those things. Like yeah, and I, something I, that people somehow do it with like full time jobs, and it's just so it's impressive. I'm just like, how how do you do this? How do you still have ideas? Yeah, um, and have the time. But uh, so afterwards, I actually went. I did not. So Mobius was started by Loen and Masioka, who approached him. Um, Masi, uh, he's like hero on heroes is the thing a lot of people know him from, but he does a lot of stuff and he wanted to he's like been producing a lot of things and he wanted to start a game studio in LA and so he got he worked with Loan and they started a studio making these mobile games I went up to work for Microsoft for seven months hmm. right after graduation I was on a project spark oh, okay um, which is like this game maker tool um, for kids and then um, they actually I, and then I went to work they hired me to work at Mobius and Outer Wilds is like just a side project hmm. Um. And, and like, and we would poke at it in our spare time, but we were like making these mobile projects at Mobius. And then in 20, I think it was March, 2015, Outer Wilds won uh, the grand prize at IGF that year. Okay. So and, you had taken your grad school version of the project mm -hmm. and submitted it to. Yeah. Like, yeah. like a slightly gussied up version of the grad mm -hmm. school version, submitted it to IGF. And then after IGF happened, we were like, well, maybe we should like finish it. <laughs> uh, and, and like Lone had already been working on it. Um, and so we went to Mossy and, you know, he was a fan of it. And so that was when we officially started, like roped it into Mobius and it became our next, our like first big PC console title. Awesome. Well, we got to take a quick break again, but we'll be right back with more Alex Beecham. Okay, so you're at Mobius. The uh, what was it like to win at IGF? What was that like? Surreal. Yeah, because that that kicked into motion everything. Like that's the only reason I'm sitting here right now. Yeah, is like that happened. Um, we've gotten very lucky <laughs> multiple times in a row. Um, uh, but that that was really crazy. Um, just because we were up against, I just I don't think any of us in a million years imagined that we would actually land that it was crazy wow. enough we were just excited to be nominated and get to go to the award show and like <laughs> have the game in a booth there um because it's just this unfinished student project that looks i mean they show they're showing this footage on the screen and uh it's just yeah it's like oh look someone extruded things in maya like you know, these cubes and, I, and it's because it turns out um our current art director wesley martin was actually in the audience at that award show and he was like yeah i saw that and i was like what the hell is this game <laughs> like, it looks like garbage well and what did you do what could you do in it at the time like were there was there any sort of story were there any kind of puzzles or was it just like a tech demo like what are we talking oh sure uh so the the alpha we had the beginning sequence loosely because that was like one of the things we figured out. Our first pass at the village failed horribly. And so redesigned it to be this, what it kind of what it is now where you go, you have to get the launch codes before you can lift off. Uh, there's a museum in the observatory kind of making you curious about stuff. There's a zero G cave. And then you blast off. And we had this idea. We had like the idea in our heads of like, okay, there are going to be these four places you go. The quantum moon, uh, the thing that crashes in Giant Steep. Uh, the time loop and the vessel, but like 
they were only sort of there. We had this idea of like, oh, you'll find clues and but just a lot of it wasn't in place. So it was sort of like the scaffolding of the solar system. Mm. But like some of the the larger puzzles were like the tornado thing was in. Mm. Um and each planet's major system was like functional. Got it. Um so you'd like the pieces would fall into the black hole and get spit out of the white hole. Sand would transfer. Uh the sun station didn't exist yet. Um but like the time loop and all of that was in place and worked. It was only 18 minutes though. Oh, okay. We increased the loop later because we made things so much more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a demo that I could I, I could presumably play if I could find a, a zip file somewhere on yeah. is it still up somewhere? Yeah. We That's could probably cool. I mean we, we, we have a cop it was one of those things where um we, we, we ended up doing a, a crowdfunding campaign with Fig. Mm. We were like one of their first projects. Um and we, I think we, we officially put a version out that sort of had some of the planets redacted because we, we were we were, we were worried about spoiling too much of the game because the game's just a giant spoiler. Um, so I know there's a version that has like some of the planets redacted, and then there's the OG version, which is everything's just unlocked. But and so when you were submitting it, like you were you were working at Mobius, but not on this, right? Yeah. And so, what were you? How did you think of yourself when you were submitting it? Were you like, this is a game I would love to make? Were you trying to, you know, were you thinking of yourself as a um, as a, a designer who's trying to you know draw attention to your work, or does does that make sense as a question? Yeah, um, we had actually submitted the previous year to the student competition at IGF, mm. um, and did not get in. Um, and then, and so this was sort of a. You went from not getting into winning the grand prize. Yeah, we were very. We, this is why we were so surprised. We we're like, <laughs> we didn't even get into student. We submit to the main competition and we win. What's happened? Like, it's a slightly different build, yeah. but not by much. Um, but a lot of stuff can happen with the way that those things are judged. Yeah, um, and that's why I'm like, you know, I, I think we worked really hard on the game, but also a lot of it's a dice roll. I'm just trying to. I'm so interested in the the moment at which. You know your your conception of yourself as a as a creative person potentially changes. You know, I, I went through to to give you my own example. I thought sure. for so long I'm a I'm a comedian. I'll do stand up. I'll be a comedy writer. I'll write for other people. And I went through this transition where I was like, wait, no, I think I can, I think I can like create and host the thing. Like I think I could. Oh yeah. I think I could like make the whole thing and be like in charge of the thing and and like obviously with the help of an enormous number of other people, but there's like a difference between like, I'm going to participate in the creation of comedy and like, I'm going to, it's going to be centered around my creative vision. Right. And, and yeah. so I'm curious when you were submitting it, was it like, ah, let me get a little extra attention on my student project. Or were you like, I think there's something here and we can make, you know, this vision can really come to life and it can be centered around our work. So the summer after, the thesis here. Some people did find the game online and download it. Mm -hmm. uh, and the response, that was sort of the first moment, I think, of like, oh my God, we made something good. Mm -hmm. Like, because mm -hmm. people really, a few, a small amount of people really responded and people made some videos and it was crazy. Just it's like, how do people even, this is on my personal website. Like, how did people <laughs> find this? I'm actually a little unclear about it. <laughs> um, and so, and so we knew we had something. We actually, we were at Indicade. Um, that next year, IGF this IGF to us I think was sort of a long shot because we hadn't gotten into student. Um, it was this yeah it was this idea of like yeah it'd be really cool to be able to show to show this and to have it up for it was just sort of a thing it was just like on our list of like yeah we should submit it to festivals um, yeah we, but we we planned to finish it um, even at the time even if we didn't get in we were going to plan to finish it but the plan was to sort of finish it 
to like take what was already there as a student project and fill in the the holes of the story. Well, hey, hey, it's have to, let's just finish it up and get it yeah. out there and and just focus on that. Because yeah. at that point, um, we were confident that like there's something here, right? We were like, oh, this idea of like the way we're handling exploration, like in the time, like th- this this is works and this is interesting and people are into this. This is worth finishing for sure. Um, and and then after we won, it was just like, oh my god, well we have to. <laughs> um, <laughs> And ever since then, it's been this insane roller coaster of learning how to make a game of that scale professionally, <laughs> right. uh, which is very that's different. A, that's a big leap from yeah. working on uh, a thing for kids or working on mobile games to like, all right, now we're making like a real fucking game. <laughs> yes. Yes. We've all learned just a ridiculous amount. Uh, what is that transition like? What was it like? You know? Oh, that transition was crazy. Um because we we high, um, and and this is where um, Lowen handled a lot of like the studio stuff of like and I helped too but like hiring like we had to hire an art director which is where we mm-hmm. got Wesley and then like we had to hire I was like oh Logan was our classmate from the year below us who had worked on sort of, had expressed interest before and we snagged him as our our tech artist programmer wizard person um, and just like building up the team and then the project over the last four years. This ended up being a good thing, but like the sort of goalposts kept moving because at first we were like, okay, we're going to kick, we're going to essentially finish the student version and kick this out in like a year and a half. Um, And we did that big campaign. But then we got um, in contact with Annapurna, which Mm. is our publisher, Mm -hmm. um, and they really believed in the vision of the project, um, but they wanted us to, they they had far higher expectations for the visual fidelity of it. Uh Um, And figuring that out was a whole, we ended up like redoing literally all of the art in the game. Uh, like twice, um, which is just insane um, for the art. The art team, I think, all the final assets that are actually in the game, our current art team did in like a year or something insane. Wow. Um, just because you're constantly learning from like the previous version and figuring out, yeah, um, yeah, like never make anything on a sphere is like the takeaway. So what is Anna? Because I don't know that much about game publishing, yeah. right? I talk to developers. The business side of it, I know a little bit less about. I know Annapurna's logo from the beginning of movies, but mostly from the beginning of like every great art game I've played in the last like two or three years. Yeah, it's a little crazy. Like it's you know their names just all over everything, and so what is that relationship? Do you you go pitch them, and then are they? Are they say, hey, we're, we think there's a market for this, but we think you need to do X, Y, Z. How does that relationship work? Yeah, I, I had actually talked to a couple of people who work at Annapurna a few years prior mm-hmm. um, and sort of like like they were in, they, they, they thought the game was cool. Um, but, yeah, they wanted us to like uh, prove that we could sort of execute on it uh, in terms of visual fidelity. Mm. And so but they were very good about they never really asked us to change anything from like a design perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always a question of uh, like, we all like generally agreed on the, like we would do play tests and it would be like, Oh, this is clearly an issue. Right. And we're like, yeah, it's an issue. Um, so like that, that part of it was really good. And then once we kind of figured out the production pipeline mm-hmm. moving forward, things kind of fell into place. And then sort of like in the later process coming up on release and release on consoles, it was super helpful because they had like done that stuff before. Yeah, they know how to get you past your right your tech checks and all that sort of thing you have to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and you know, obviously marketing and, and PR and stuff. And the fact yeah. that we benefit from being part of this library of like sure. weirdly good games. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, a good run so far. <laughs> That's really interesting. Um well uh let, let's talk about 
like the design, how you came to the design decisions that that you made in the game. Um, one thing I'm really curious about is, uh, you know, when I was playing it on Twitch, my Twitch chat was like, uh, some, you know, because people are always coming in and saying, "What's the deal with this game?" Like just in the chat, yeah. what are you supposed to do in this game? Which is like, you know, a little annoying. They could look it up, but uh, other people in my chat started saying, "Oh, this game is missed in space." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, that's actually a really good description." I hadn't thought of that. Um, but people who've listened to this podcast know I, I love the missed games um, and everything that that Cyan has done, and and that's really like a they sort of created almost a, a game design pattern of like how to combine sort of story and exploration and puzzles in a way. Did do you feel that connection or influence or 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 is that more happenstance? Mist was a, a official piece of like prior art I looked at for my thesis. So oh wow, yeah, I had never played it. Um, but I was looking around for, you know, things that had exploration were nonlinear, mm-hmm. but weren't just, were, were, had like things you did and sort of like solving a mystery sort of. Um, and obviously, Mist is definitely is more like overtly puzzle focused. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that was really cool going in and playing that. And then a few years later, I played Abduction, um, which is right. really cool. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it, there's that similarity of like, there's a, there's an alien machine that you need to, understand how it works yeah and then... they just sort of drop you it's one of the few games i can think of that just drops you in a world and it's like figure it out yeah here's a lever what does the lever do up to you man right figure like it you out. pull it and then what happens and they don't explain anything to i mean like the soul series kind of does this but there aren't yeah. as many things to figure out really mm-hmm. um, yeah and I, i'm trying to think there's a couple like there's a couple machines in in outer wilds that have that comparison to me where it's like oh especially like when you get into the shuttle and there's <laughs> yeah. the three settings on the shuttle and you're like what what do each one of these do and you like experiment with them although i've never been like uh in mist you don't get like trapped in space by one of the lever <laughs> right. settings uh which i loved i really right. enjoyed i was like oh this i can't make this shuttle work actually <laughs> you know yeah in a weird way that's sort of yeah mist in space it, it was sort of like what if you just made like a classic adventure game but like there were all of these existential threats and like, you know, you actually could, cause usually those games there's, there's no fail state really. It's like you saw, you know, you're stuck yeah. until you solve the puzzle. But I, I do, I do love games that sort of has, and this is the, the Zelda thing I think where it's like they have that puzzle solving, like figuring out the world element, but then there's the world is sort of pushing back against you. Mm-hmm. And there are these sort of dangers you also have to account for. And I think exploration just feels way more rewarding when it's like you went through this like horrifying yeah, like tunnel of like, should I be doing this? But I want to know what's on the other side. Yeah, but there's actually a that's a really good point because so most adventure games don't have any kind of fail state at all. Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of like the big thing I think like Lucas Arts basically invented where like oh you can't die like you can yeah. like you couldn't a Sierra game because that's annoying. You just want to solve the puzzle, but as a result you just sort of have infinite amount of time. Um, you know Zelda is sort of oh, you're getting attacked, you're fighting back, maybe you die or whatever, but um. Outer Wilds, like, when you die, you lose just enough progress that it's, like, a little bit frightening. Like, falling into the sun when you're going from one place to another is, like, no, I'm going to lose a little bit of progress. Like, I actually don't want to do it. Right. And so it's a little bit – it is, like, ominous and frightening when you get close to the sun. Like, you start to really be careful. And that's very rare in adventure games. Yeah. I I think it's just because it's – and we would see this in playtests. You're splitting two genres, Mm-hmm. Um, cause we would have players and we still see this, like some people get really into 
like the mechanics, mm-hmm. the space flight and the platforming. Yeah, you can slingshot and, and everything. Yeah, there's all this crazy stuff. Um, but they'll like we had to work really hard to get those players to realize that like, yes, the texture reading is like really important, actually. Um, <laughs> you should pay attention to that. Um, and then the other type of player is like, I just, all I want to do is read about the story and figure out these puzzles and clues. <laughs> Please don't make me go into space. And then you have this like Venn diagram. Anyone who's like in the middle. Yeah loves it they're like oh this is great um but we had to work really hard to expand the size of that middle portion (laughs) because it's like yeah i understand why why people don't make more i wish they would though because i would kill for like dark souls but with just a ton of puzzles oh my gosh so would i absolutely i would um and yeah that's what uh like the yeah the it it really wasn't a sweet spot for me personally um, because I love puzzle games. I love exploration games and I love self-directed story. uh, But, you know, I get bored in a game where the story is just dribbled out to me, like Mm -hmm. by virtue of playing the game, like um, like I was playing the most recent Fire Emblem. And it's just like, hey, if you just keep going, it'll just like give you the story. I like when I have to put the pieces together in my own mind because then I'm actively doing something, um, which is, yeah, similar to, you know, Abduction or Mist or or your game is it gives it enough, uh, I don't know, like purchase for you to actually get invested in it because you're the one finding it out. When you get the extra story, you did it. You found it out. Right. You like, and something we've been talking about recently is like, Outer Wilds, to some extent, like gates the, your progress in the story with your understanding of the story. Mm-hmm. And I think that it like helps people understand yes. what's happening. It like gets them to like focus more and they're not like, I don't know what's happening. It's like, no, they know exactly what's happening because they literally had to to get to this point. Yes. OK, uh, th- thank you. This reminds me of my favorite thing about the game. And this is uh, I-, I love talking about this. So what what I think is so cool about it is that. It's a game where all the progress is gated, as you just said, by your knowledge yeah. as a person, uh, as the person playing the game. Like you, now that I, ha- now that I know everything in the game, assuming I can remember all of it, I could boot it up now for the first time, totally fresh save, and beat it in one go. Right, I have yeah. access to everything because. The, all the keys to the locks are in my mind, man, um, which uh, is so beautiful. It's also something that was done like, the you know, the witness uh, yeah. used that same technique, which I, I adored about that game. But the really cool thing is that's the same thing that's happening in the story to the character. Yes. Because the character's consciousness in the story of the yeah. game, here's a big spoiler, <laughs> is being sent back uh now, is that is it yeah. being sent back through time? Yeah, your memories. Your memories are being sent back through time. Yeah. So it's like every time you go through the time loop, you are waking up again, and the only thing that's different is you, is your character has more memories in the story of the game, and you as the player also have more memories because you live in the real world and you actually played the game and you remember what you did last time, um, which is so f- fucking cool because it's like you and the player are both gaining powers. Identically, like it's not like when you are in Dark Souls and you get a new weapon, you also get the weapon in real life, <laughs> right? Like you get a sword, and now I have a sword in real life too, and that's but that's what's happening in Outer Wilds. Yeah, was yeah. that? W- tell me about that about that de- design decision. Like, how did you come to that? Was that your intent? Did you happen to find that? Where did you? That's a good question. At a certain point, we definitely leaned into that. We're mm-hmm. like, okay, this is what's happening. Um, 
the way I feel like the way we sort of arrived there. Um, so we really wanted to make sure that the only reason people were exploring was because they were curious. Yeah. And like we were like, OK, that's we're designing for that type of exploration. Let's get rid of every other possible motivation. And so we got we were like, we're just not doing upgrades of any sort or because mm-hmm. on a certain level it worked out because with the time loop like it wouldn't matter would you, like yeah. how would you explain majora's mask has to like jump through hoops to like keep your you know your money on you <laughs> right it's <laughs> like a bank with a stamp or something um and so we're like <laughs> right right, right. That's a, yeah they stamp they like stamp your character's yeah. hand to know how much money you have so then when you show up later they're like oh this guy's got a stamp on his hand that means he has a hundred rupees yep that's I love that. So... It's just like in a world where just in case there's a time loop, you'll still be able to withdraw your funds. Like, <laughs> Why don't they use that in the real world? Right. What, if... what if there's a time loop in here in Los Angeles? I know, right? <laughs> it's it's well... like a weird Bitcoin thing he has on his arm. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah. So like we, we were just like, OK, we're just not doing that. We're not going to have yeah. anything perpetuate other than information and it just kind of worked out because we're like well if if we want to guarantee that you're you're exploring because you're curious the only reward for exploring can be knowledge about the world Mm -hmm. um if like we only reward you with sort of like answers to like these questions about mysteries and stuff like if you're still playing the game you're probably it's because you want to know more of those answers uh and that's just sort of naturally translated into a game where like everything is knowledge based Mm mm-hmm so a great example of that, and I think one of the most elegant ones, is the game has shortcuts. Uh, I would almost call them Dark Souls-style shortcuts, yeah. where after you've gone through the whole twisty way to get there, there to, to get to a certain area, there's a shortcut that gets you back to the place where you started, and you can use that later to get back there quickly. But instead of there being, like in Dark Souls, a lever that you pull mm-hmm. that... And that's like a weird thing in the Dark Souls games, right? That the only thing that retains state... In the whole game is this is like shortcut doors. It's like right? all mechanical things like elevators. Yeah. You have to do that trick where like you're doing a boss run and like you reach the bottom and you're like, I'm gonna hit the switch and then jump off so it's back at the top when I yeah. make the run again. Like yeah. weird, like yeah. It's like every time you say every time you save or you sit at a bonfire, everything resets except where elevators and doors are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, and so that's fine. It's a video game, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, instead of doing that, the shortcuts in Outer Wilds are just like there's a hole in a field of rocks that, like, you would never. It's not an area you would ever go past or like explore um, randomly. You're probably not going to find it randomly because it's a needle in a haystack. I did see one person do it. Oh, really? The one on Hourglass, the pile of rocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they jumped over, and then I was like, I, I was like, oh my god, they're gonna find it! And I was like, they they cleared it. I was like, oh thank god! And they slipped backwards and just fell down like into the temple, <laughs> like, and it worked out. Well, that's what happens in the game because there's um there's you can accidentally do stuff before yeah. you realize you're supposed to. For instance, I when I was in my phase where I was still just bumbling around and like not really playing in a self-directed, which I assume is how everyone begins the game, yeah. you're just sort of floating around. And so I went to Brittle Hollow and I was spending a lot of time there, not exploring any focus direction. I just fell in the black hole and then the, huge spoiler, the chunk of the temple or whatever, or the tower. Oh, you, the quantum tower. That you can only access yeah. once it falls through the black hole and you can uh, explore it weightlessly. That just happened to be there. Yeah. And so one of the first things that I did was 
accidentally solve this puzzle and go read the stuff there. <laughs> then later in the game, like 12 hours later, when I was I forgot that I did that and I solved the puzzle over again um, in order to like be exhaustive and make sure I had seen everything. I was like, oh, wait, I already did this in like my first hour playing the game. I just didn't understand that I had done it yet. Um, so I wonder what the, that person's experience was like falling through a hole and like discovering a bunch of stuff. And then I wonder if later in the game they like went through the long way because they were I like, think oh, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, clearly I haven't done this yet. Like, oh, wait, this is the thing I accidentally yeah. found. That's OK. Like that's its own experience, <laughs> I guess. It's just funny. You're like, oh, no. Yeah. Um, but, but you're going to get that with as long as that doesn't happen to one person with like every puzzle. It's like fine. Right. You're like, yeah. one, you're like, oh, whatever. Well, and that's the but, that's the fun of an open ended game yeah. like that, because you can when you accidentally get something early it's it's fun it's yeah. it's like empowering i guess yeah it lets you know that like oh the game's going to let me get away with this kind of stuff right. it's like not faked so but so that decision right to have shortcuts that operate that way where mm -hmm. they're sort of like security through obscurity you just probably won't come across them that is the knowledge right that's the knowledge key in your mind yeah. that gets you through the lock was that a deliberate decision did you go I'm just so curious about how these design decisions are made. So were you like, okay, this is a game where the only upgrades is your knowledge as a player. How do we design a shortcut that works that way? Aha, we'll hide in a pile of rocks. Or is it more organic than that? Or The pile of rocks one, so th those two, because both the cities have those. Mm -hmm. um, that came later on. Um, I'm trying I'm trying to, because oh, originally, originally there were like two paths to the Sunless City. And then at some point it was like, oh, we got to make one of these is going to be the prime path because we want to tell this story mm -hmm. and have players approach it a certain way. And then it was like, what are we going to do with this other path? Like, oh, why don't we just make that like a hidden shortcut? Because like the city's huge. People are going to be so irritated if they go the long way every time. Right. So that one just sort of happened organically. And then once we had that one, we were like, oh, let's just do it to the other city. I, I think <laughs> I think Lona at some point was like, oh, right, because you have to go to the Black Hole Forge. And he was like, we should do it there. Um, it's like, yeah, it's a good idea. Um and so we ended up doing it to those places because they're so big. Yeah. Um, but early on, the design idea, so the sort of high-level structure early on was we had this idea of like there would be these four major locations, which I kind of mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. and but you're not going to be able to reach them without knowing like these secrets, the tricks, um, or clues rather. And so each one was going to have three clues, and the clues were going to kind of point you to each other and to the, the we called these curiosities. Um, and so an example would be like that photo rule for the quantum moon mm -hmm. or the tornado rule for giant steep. Like it's like, oh, you find that. And then once you found that, plus these other clues, you now know how to reach that, that mystery. Yeah. And so that was like our starting structure. And like, actually the ship log, um, is literally like just our design docs. Um, <laughs> like that's, that's, it, and it got more complicated, obviously, but like early on, wow. the ship log was just like four things with like three things surrounding it pointing. And then it. Got that. Know. That makes yeah. The ship log does look like a design document. That's a fascinating. We we added that part of the ship log like a year ago. Well, a wow. year and a half ago, probably now. Uh, because people didn't understand sort of yeah. the, how the game was meant to be played. We just had that the 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 by planet mode. So the so the place where you really designed those knowledge based puzzles were those main challenges yeah. of how do you get to the core of Giants Deep? Well, you need to understand these two or three things about how the planet works, and you need to probably go read, because there's a couple doc, you have to go yeah. read um, some, know my writing, some some lore text yeah. that says, oh, where you find uh, very much a mist style thing. I've discovered how to get to the core, someone has written. You yeah. do X, Y, Z. And then once you do that, 
you it's probably something you you wouldn't have stumbled across accidentally now that you know that you can do it every time very quickly yeah and actually what you just said just reminded me of like why we did it that way <laughs> um we wanted it to be a game where uh you the natural environment was not something the player could change it was very much like you we had a question early on like the sand flows between the twins it was yeah. like does the player do this is this like you push a switch and the sand moves from one to the other and we right. were like no, it's going to be natural. Um, the player has no control over this. And that sort of, we adhered to that very rigidly, um, sort of a pain in the ass at times, actually. We're like, oh, it'd be great if the player could just do this thing. We're like, nope, it's against the rules. Mm-hmm. The player can't do shit. Um, Love it. And uh, and so uh, what we wanted, though, is you can't change nature, but you can understand it. Yes. And so it was this idea of, okay, we're going to build these systems and we're going to hide these curiosities at the core of these systems and once you understand the systems with these like three rules or whatever you now have the knowledge you need to sort of navigate to the hidden thing and that was like you're saying yeah the core of the game you find the know my ruins that tell you the rules and once you know the rules you can go to the thing and that was the starting point that's such a cool that's such a cool design principle and i've never seen it again i've seen other games where your knowledge is the key um, but I've never seen one that that operates in in quite that way, and it was really my the, the you know the the part of the game I marveled about the most. I, I have I have one more question about the design of the game specifically, and then I I have a couple more questions about how you worked on it and and your process making it. But um, the my understanding of the story is that uh, it takes place at the natural end of the universe. Yes, correct. Like it's not like. Uh, and it took me a little longer to realize that than most other people. It's not an apocalypse you're trying to stop. At first, it kind of seems like, oh, the Nomai maybe caused some supernovas to happen, and you're going to try to prevent that. But no, what it really was was the, the shit they made didn't work until it was triggered by the end of the universe. Right. Um, and the universe is ending, uh, and there's nothing you can do about it. The end, <laughs> right? And <laughs> right. you're going to have an experience of yeah. that happening. Yeah. But... Uh, that's the that's the setting. That is such an unusual setting for a game. How did you come to it, and and what does it mean to you? I'm sorry. Very easy, small yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me. Uh, it's it's funny. I was actually I was piecing through some really old design documents um, from like way back at the very beginning, um, just reading some things because originally. I don't remember exactly where the idea of the supernova came from, but it seemed like, I mean, I, I love Majora's Mask. Mm-hmm. So an idea of having a cataclysmic event reset, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure that came from there on some level. Yeah. Um, but the idea for, I, anyway, I found I found this document and it was, there was like a line that said something like, um, sun goes supernova, like, like, are all the other stars going supernova? Question mark. <laughs> like, is it just the end of the universe? And, and I don't remember exactly where that notion came from, um, but the thematically, we always wanted it to sort of be to, the game to be asking this question of, is it worth exploring and learning things even if everything's going to end? Mm. Um, which is a very like, yeah, it's a very, I guess, philosophical approach, but- uh, it's, a lot of, it's a question a lot of people are asking themselves this year, I feel like. Yeah, right. Um, and And so that, I think it was partly, so it was definitely partly that, or like that was like a reason, like once we posed the question of like, wait, what if just all the stars are blowing up? It was also, we didn't want, um, it was, I think it was partly motivated by not wanting that sort of, uh, oh, like 
this this um, the player or the player's solar system is special. Yeah, it's that like. Um, we don't want the player to be special, so why the sun's not special either, right? It's like, let's just keep expanding outwards. Like, everything you think is, like, particular to what you're seeing. It's like, no, 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 it's everything. And it was that trying to get away from feeling like the game is really focused on the player, um, I think, was probably part of it. And then just, it creates an interesting tone. Yeah. Of this this sort of melancholy, once you realize it's very much a game about, like, these things falling apart and these natural systems happening and... Um, it just, I, I don't know, the end of the universe is just like an interest. You say it out loud and you're like, oh, that's an interesting yeah. time period to set a thing, right? Yeah. Um, and there's an interesting theme running through it. And I won't, I won't ask you to like, you know, unpack it more than this. But the the theme of the the search for the eye of the universe, which mm-hmm. is a a way of framing that is based around observation. Observa- actually a resonance with the witness, frankly, um, uh, in that. There's the theme of the quantum moon that you uh, or the quant, you know quantum objects that your observation of them is is what determines their state. There's exploration, which is a uh, you know a, an observational task, right? Like to explore is to observe things and go look at things. And then there's the uh, there's the idea of the the central MacGuffin that, that everyone is searching for, being the eye of the universe, which is the I don't know the universe observing itself or observing you. That's like there's some, there's some, uh, th- there's some like really interesting philosophical themes there. Yes, um, I'm trying to think how much I should. Yeah, you you pre- say whatever you want. Yeah, you're 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 no, you're right. Um, we definitely leaned into observation as like the mechanic of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, like even like the know my orbs. Yeah, right. Everything like observation is like the thing you do. Right, the orbs that you move by just by just looking, by looking at, them. at them, right? And all of your mechanic, the scout, it's just another way to observe things, right? The, the signal scope's another way. So, like, we definitely intentionally made made a game about, yeah, obs- and, and then it it's not surprising it soaked into sort of like the the narrative around everything and sort of right. Um, it's a very organic way to create that sort of narrative and to to make a game because if the game is about observation, well, then the whole game should be about observation is that yeah and like with the eye like the eye of the universe wasn't like that idea came was was very early on like we knew Mm -hmm. the gist of the ending very early but the specifics sort of kind of very naturally evolved it didn't originally have anything to do with the quantum moon it was going to be like a physical object you found Mm. um which would have done the same thing in the end um it kind of originated because we wanted we felt like everything should be moving towards um this one final question um, which is like, what is this thing? What happens if I interact with this thing? Yeah. Um, and then it became natural to sort of, that's why the Nomai came and the pieces yeah. sort of fell into place. Um, the way we built the story was very sort of parallel with how we, the design and the story. In fact, like um, all of our story meetings were sort of me, Loan, and then Kelsey, our writer, working together because so much of it's design specific, so much of it's writing specific, um, everyone kind of bringing ideas and sort of, we just sort of, moved more and more in that direction of trying to fit these pieces together and observation was a key thing. Yeah. It's just so cool to see those two elements in like such close concert, you know, and it makes the whole game feel, uh, it's sort of what makes it feel like a spooky art object where there's like a lot of depth to it that I, I keep wanting to wrap my mind around over and over again because those things are, 
are so closely linked. Can we put that like on our on our website, a store page, like a spooky art object? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I mean, ideally, that's what it. You know, I think I think that to me is what art is. Is when you there's the more you think about it, the more there is to think about. You know, and when all the parts are unitary, it it helps it have that it helps it have that quality. Um, well, I won't. I won't keep admiring it <laughs> so much and and take up your time doing that. But no, I should say also a lot of the stuff in it would just be like, because we got to spend so long making this, which, yeah. again, very lucky that we got to spend like as many years as we did. How uh, many years? So it's been seven years since the student project, wow. four years professionally at Movius. Wow. Um, and in that time, you just get to hear so many people's reactions to it. And like, you know, they'll come to it with their own. I, I just feel like so many people's different ideas got were able to be put into this and made cohesive because we had the time yeah, and sort of got to, so, so like a lot of it, I want to make sure I'm not like, like only so much of that is like us having good ideas. And a lot of that is just sort of us finding cool ideas or other people bringing in interesting ideas and like, or like Andrew makes, writes a piece of music and you're like, Oh my God, what if we put that here? And now this dictates this entire gameplay sequence, right? Yep. I've experienced that. Yeah. Yeah. Creatively as well, where it's like, Oh, here's a piece that slots in, that I wouldn't have come up with myself if I if I was under a time limit, but oh, here it is. Like there's a link that we can. You sort of need to find them. You can't create them in a way. Yeah, and then you end up in the, in the end. You're like, wow, this. No, it's almost like we did it on purpose. But like, <laughs> I don't know if we. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's so funny. And I think it's. I don't know. I think it's really interesting how talking to you about it because, uh, I think it's interesting how often people who create things like this, as you have, are are a little surprised by what they did. And, and you know, I get that a little bit of that yeah. sense from you. When I talked oh, to yeah. Derek, you for one of the very first episodes we did about this, about Spelunky, oh, about yeah. like just, which is such a perfect game in so many ways. Um, I was like, how did you do it? And he was like, well, really? And we were talking about Spelunky 2 or his later games. And he was like, really, I'm doing that as an exercise of trying to figure out what it was that I did that worked so well. I, no, we can, I think we can relate to that really well. Because serendipity is crazy. Just some of the things that you see happen in like Outer Wilds, we're watching, and like players have this crazy experience where like an object goes by, their ship hits this thing, they spiral out, and just these like yeah. the stars align. But then those things keep happening. It's just like, why? How did this happen? How did we end up with something where this stuff happens so regularly? Um, and like we've got ideas, and we tried to lean into the things that worked, and like some of it's a hundred percent. You know, we didn't do it by accident, a hundred percent. But like sometimes you're just like. Why does this work? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, well, let me just ask. I, I, I'm just curious. What is it? Because I'm still so curious about is the the day to day reality of working on a game like this, right? Um, what is that like? Like, what was what is your role and what is your you know day to day actions? Are you are you hunched behind a monitor and in the dark? Right? How do you keep your energy going? Uh, what is what is that part of it like? Because I think that's what is almost completely invisible to those of us who play the games. Yeah, I think I think that question that was just constantly shifting over the course over those four years at Mobius. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very different student, obviously. Um, like I was the director of the project, so which means less that I come up with everything and more of like I'm in charge of making everything fits together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I just, love that metaphor. That's yeah, great. it's just like take everyone else's stuff and like make sure there's no obvious, you know, just dramatic uh, contradiction. Are you asking them to change stuff? You say, hey, we need something, hey, pretty good, but yeah. we need better you know, or whatever. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, or could you make it match this a little more, mm-hmm. that kind of thing? We'd give feedback and stuff. Like mm-hmm. I'd work with Andrew um, on the music mm-hmm. um, and it would be like, Andrew, like, 
this sounds too sad or <laughs> the opposite or, or like, oh, this piece you did for this, let's use it for this and let's shift this over here. Um, just because we, we had a lot of, those were a lot of really fun back and forth with the music. Um, and then, um, uh, or like with art, I'd work with Wesley, who's the art director. Yeah. Um, and sort of working together, figuring out tone stuff. It's mostly tone, I feel. Yeah. Um, where like, uh, it'd be stuff like, space should be totally black. We're not, you know, like, it's not going to be like pretty colors all across the sky. Stuff, yeah. yeah. It's just like, nope, it's going to be pitch black, like in like 2001 <laughs> um, as like a baseline. But then like, obviously art does all these cool things like, oh, the stars are slightly different shapes and colors and like we'd work together and, um, but it's stuff like that. Um, I also, so Lohan and I were the designers on the project. So it was sort of, for me, it was balancing sort of needing to work very closely with all the different team leads and members. And we're a small team. so Yeah, how many people total worked on the game? Uh, again, changed over development. Right now it's like 10-ish. Um, all right, that's small. Which is which is small. But we worked with external, um, like uh, our animator, mm -hmm. uh, Alex Yao, was, was sort of a contractor. Got um, it. Sound was contracting, mm -hmm. um, art and arts, uh, music and writing, and uh, and some art, some additional art. Um, but uh, in in studio, it's sort of like um, we have two full time programmers, um, concept artist, uh, like three on the art. Oh my god, I should know this just off the top of my head. <laughs> um, and then Salone and I are the two designers, and then um, and that refers to game, the game design element, not art design or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and so is be, be be balancing for me, be balancing needing to like check in with everyone and making sure like, oh yeah, art the thing art's working on is like in tone mm -hmm. and like with what it's going to work with design and sort of audio and all that stuff and then design just actually designing which was like loaning me like in maya doing gray box work like blocking out planet designs and sort of like more moment to moment um, and then both of us would also do programming what um, is gray box work um so gray boxing is when you block out an environment um textureless so it looks like a bunch of gray boxes mm. which is why they call it, some people call it white boxing and we would do it in Maya because we built tools so we could work on spheres. Mm -hmm. But like, uh, for instance, like the caves, I designed a lot of the caves on Ember Twin. And initially they were, the easiest way to do it is you extrude these hallways that are just, um, oh my God, uh, <laughs> no like cubes, uh, like just flat sided walls, ceilings, floor. Like you're just walking through literally a hallway that yeah. I just like wrapped around. Um, and it's just to block out basic space. How can the, how does the player navigate? Yeah, because one of the coolest things about the game is that the environments are all actual spheres that you have like honeycombed <laughs> with little with little caverns, and you're not cheating that, right? You're no. If you take off the surface of like Ember Twin, it's a nightmare inside. <laughs> Those places and art would be like, oh, can you like not have these tunnels get so close together? It's like really hard to go because they had to come up with techniques like how are we going to turn this? How are we going to make this look good mm -hmm. and not take like five years with a team of twenty to do it? Mm -hmm. um, and they did a lot of really cool tricks to make that happen, but. Um, and it's really crazy to see like this loose. So it was like, yeah, a conversation between level design and art and sort of like, cause we have to be careful. We don't do things that they can't turn into final art. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and the later we got on, we got more and more art pieces. We could sort of go and jam rocks in that were actual art rocks and it got a little more specific, but for a while there, it was just like, 
yep, we're just like punching holes in timber hearth and later yeah. we're going to figure out how to make it look good. Well, I mean, it's wild how in like, uh, I forget whether it's Ash Twin or Ember Twin, yeah. the one with the city in it, yeah. um, where that's a small planet mm-hmm. and there's so much exploration in it. There's so, so, so much to, um, I'm thinking of the right one, right? Where there's- Oh the, yeah, the caves, we, yeah. Yeah, uh, there's, the, there's a city and there's caves. Right. And so- Afterwards, I was like, this whole thing is just like honeycombed in a way that is, you don't even know where it would fit from the outside, yet there it is. That particular planet was a nightmare because you also, we also had to think of um, what is this like to explore if the player encounters this at like five minutes, 10 minutes, 50, because the sand yeah, is rising. Because it's and, constantly filling with sand. And as the art team will tell you, just like making anything on a sphere is sort of awful because none of our tools are designed for that. Like game mm. engines or art programs, like, they really expect you to use Cartesian coordinates, which is reasonable. <laughs> um, the same way game engines expect things to right. stay in one place. Like we did the two things you're not supposed to do, like non-flat things. And then like they're all moving. It's just. Yeah. And they're all, they all have gravity. Like yeah. they're all, they're all like the gravity is, is actually modeled. Like yeah. when you're inside of one of the planets, it's like oh, yeah. actual fucking gravity. And the whole thing is spinning That's in why a you'll still universe drift. model. In certain places, it's like harder to jetpack because. Like the planet's rotating and like centrifugal force and all that stuff is sort of acting on you. Um, a lot of people, as we were making this, like we were like getting advice from other people in the industry. They're just like, can you just like make them not do that? Like, <laughs> what, if, what, if, what if you cheated it? Um, uh, which sounds good, but like it would also have been really hard to do. And then you lose a certain, I don't know honesty to the fact that yeah yep, they're all just flying through space um well and that honesty is really fun and it's like you can feel it in every yeah. moment and it's really rewarding to know that it's like actually done that way right and it was part of like what we want is like even if you're in the deepest cave on this planet that knowledge that like things are still hurtling through space outside yeah. it's not you the outside world doesn't cease to exist and it goes back to that whole like the player's not like the focus of attention yeah that makes it seem so insane that that's what people expected of No Man's Sky when it came out because that is what that was what everyone thought was that it oh was going to be like a perfectly model. All the solar systems are going to be like actually modeled, and and that's what I kind of thought as well when I yeah. landed the first time. I was like, okay, clearly I'm like going from the outer space, the solar system world, to a you know planet now. When you go through the clouds, yeah. it's like sort of shifting. But then talking to you, I'm like, that would have been would have been insanity to try to do it that way. I mean, it was hard enough for, because uh, we still do the thing where we swap things out if you're far enough away. It's just, yeah. We have a small enough solar system that Art was able to do really, really accurate sort of mm-hmm. long distance. You know, you swap the model when you're far away, but they did a really good job. You can hardly yeah. tell. Um, yeah. And just when we have a bigger game, it's just hard to account for every single tree. Yeah. And like, um, when you're when you're o- operating as a director, I'm I'm curious, how much do you see yourself as a, as an auteur, right, who's saying, ah, here's how, here's how it shall be, right. versus sort of a conductor who's saying, ah, let's all, hey, everyone, let's all play together, and and does that make sense? Yeah. Where you're trying to make everything work in concert. Um, Yeah, I guess I can only speak for me personally. Of I, course. I, I want to be the latter. <laughs> um, and every so often, it, we, we definitely, at Mobius, we, 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 Almost like we do the thing where like if anyone has an idea, like, you know, like we've gotten design ideas from art and, per, you know, just yeah. everyone sort of. And, and, and that's, that's super wonderful. Um, This project was uh for me because it started sort of as my thesis was a little bit of like everyone's like, oh, it's Alex's baby. Yeah. It's just like they're not like I, I'm like I protest, but it's like not 
you know, it's hard. It's hard to uh, completely let go of that, I guess. Um, yeah. But I don't feel like any good has ever come out of that. <laughs> I, like, I think it's just better if people. But I think I think it's important, though. I think it's. Uh, I think on that flip side, it's good we didn't like design by committee. Uh huh. Um, and it's like we always try to make sure, and it might vary from project to project. Like at the company, like I'm co-creative lead. I'm not like the director on all of our projects. Yeah. Um, it was just this one, and so we always have a person whose job it is to sort of keep a cohesive vision, mm-hmm. and like the producer's role is to keep a cohesive vision for the team versus the game project, for instance. Um. And so we sort of try to keep clear roles, but then keep it open where everyone, anyone's, you know, open to sort of have suggestions or disagree. Um, But then someone always does have sort of the final say. But usually, usually we agree. Yeah. It's, it's such a contradiction, you know, in, in television as well. It's like, you know, on my own projects, on my own show, I'm like the, you know, I'm the creator and I'm like the host. And of course it has to represent, that's necessary for it to exist. But at the same time, you like literally can't, make it by yourself right right? it's not possible and you need everyone to be giving their own creative actualization to every step of the project to to make it work and then you you sort of end up feeling like you're you're doing two things at once where you're both trying to serve your own goals and yeah bring everyone else's and yeah and i I feel like my biggest uh challenge with all of this is sort of uh like you work with such brilliant people yeah. who have so many awesome ideas of their own. It's like, it's like, by what right do I get to like make some of these calls? Yes. And it's sort of like almost uh, uh, can be challenging to sort of trust, I guess, your own your your uh, instincts or sort of like reasons for this thing existing. Yeah. Um, at times, because there's so many people involved, and it's like, well you know, the next project, maybe it'll be someone else who's sort of driving it. And right now it's me. And yep. on a certain level, you do have to be like, well, it's better to stop worrying about that, but it's hard. Yeah. I've, I've had that experience where I'm like, okay, I don't actually know better than anybody else right. about this, but it is my prod. That's how we've set it up. And so I just need to make the call in this case. And that's, what's going to happen this time. Because that's how it works, yeah. you know, um, where you're, yeah, you you sort of have to like jump, make a leap of faith into your own judgment. <laughs> no, hundred <laughs> percent. And uh, yeah, yeah, and that's definitely the easiest when everyone else is. And sometimes you're wrong, obviously. Like, yeah, I mean, there are times where like Lone convinces me, like, no, we totally shouldn't do that. I'm like, okay, you're right, but like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to navigate sometimes. Well, so. Let's uh, let's end with this. When you um, the game is out, yeah. <laughs> you you've been working on for seven years. Continually surprised by this fact, yeah. Uh, and so, what does that feel like as it comes out? And then, what do you what what is your life like now? And what's <laughs> next? You know what I mean? What what is that? That's another that's another permeable membrane you're you're passing through. You know, from student to game creator and and director to now the game is out. <laughs> all right. What what is that experience? Um, yeah, that, that that's been sort of a process for all of us on the team. I think mm-hmm. um, just because we did make and it, we made three mobile games before this, but this is the first one where like you know, people have noticed um, yeah. and played it, uh, and it's still wild to just watch people play the thing that you spent so many years on. Um, uh, it's good for the most. I mean, like obviously, like it's hard. To, I mean, the reception's been wonderful. Um, yeah. Like I'm here talking to you about it. Like yeah. it's 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 crazy. Um, 
And so we've been doing stuff like this, interviews and talking about it. Um, we're still working on patches and stuff, like fixing little things here and there. Obviously, the studio as a whole, we're starting to think about what we might do as a next project. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, But it's weird to be, after you go so hard for so long on something, and then suddenly it's done. Yeah, and It's not like we're not busy, uh, but there's not that same, I guess, sort of driving. It's part of it's nice in a way but it's also sort of you're just like we feel it's like now we're in space floating (laughs) um like oh no it came full circle uh but it's good it's good i mean i think it's gonna be good for the studio and the team and we're all really excited just to watch people be excited about it yeah um and 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 to sort of take away the things we wanted i think that's um because we've seen people play test this for years. Yeah. And we knew that like at least some people were going to like it. Um, but it's really cool to see people like finish it. Right. And have more of a holistic takeaway from it and have that takeaway be like like not super divergent from what we were going for. Yeah. And that's like really cool to see. Um, yeah. It's like, oh, we communicated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is sort of like this weird, extremely elaborate form of like communication. <laughs> and we're like, oh, they, they got the message. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my God, cool. <laughs> Uh-huh. Are are you able to are you able to enjoy it being out? Because I often have the experience of well, you know, when I'm waiting for one of my favorite TV shows or games to come out, it's like it's fun for me. I'm excited when I get to unwrap and do, you know. But when you make it, you spend so long, and oh, then yeah. when it's out, you're like, well, it's just out, but nothing's different for me other than that, that I've stopped. Right? <laughs> right. And so it's, sometimes it's hard to find that moment. Yeah. Of enjoying it. I think. I think we, we definitely took, like, as a studio, we took a couple of days and just, like, like watched people. Like, watch, being able to watch, like, streamers play, it's really cool. Yeah. And to watch, like, the people. Like, like everyone. It's fun. It's a fun thing to watch people experience together mm-hmm. and watch them try to, like, work together to figure these things out. Um, and just, uh, but, yeah, yeah, it's definitely. How did you phrase that? Uh, I, I There's definitely a bit of a. Uh, Right. I actually, actually having, I mean, not made any good films, but back when I was like, thought I was going to go be a filmmaker, like as a student uh, in undergrad and stuff, uh, there's something nice about having a premiere. Mm-hmm. There's like a sense of closure that comes with that. You're like, I was there. People watched the film. It is out. Yeah. And with games, you don't really get that. It's uh. like you, you release it and then gradually you see reactions trickle in or like mm-hmm. you get the reviews start to come out. And then, but that's not even the final version of the game. Then you release a patch. Yeah. And then you're like, did we fix the thing? And then <laughs> people start to react to that. And then, you know, we're going to be, real, you know, launching on various platforms and sort of yeah. like that starts to happen. And uh, it, it feels like it's not really a moment. It's like this entire year. Yeah. And it's like hard. It's, you can't really prepare for that, I guess. Yeah. But we knew it wasn't going to be like, bam, there's a moment and now it's out and we're done. Yeah. It's just sort of like this process. <laughs> so. Uh, do you have any sense of what's next? Uh, nothing I can talk about. Te- terrible question. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, of We've course, got ideas. Not even a good answer that you were able to give. What no. am I even thinking <laughs> asking you this? Well, you never know. Yeah. Um, we learned a lot of really cool things making this game. And how, how about this? Do you have a a goal for what you'd like to do in your next project like having done outer wilds is Mm. there is there something for you that you're you're looking to do next um so i don't think that i i'm not speaking at all from like what mobius is going to do next because that's going to be like there's a lot of stuff there i'm not i am not mobius um for me personally there's two things i want to do now that outer wilds is done 
uh, one at some point, I don't know when, I want to make a horror game. Oh. Um, and then, and that's just me personally. Uh, and then two, I need to finish a movie that my sister and I started like a decade ago called Larry the Llama. <laughs> Which still isn't out yet. What if Larry the Llama is a horror game? Just as a thought about a scary llama. I'm sorry. Please go on. <laughs> Not no no. There's very dumb joke. Um, no, it's just like an old. It got shelved like mm-hmm. because of school and video and all this stuff. And it's yeah. just one of those like like my high school chemistry teachers in it, <laughs> like as a pirate. Um, and you have footage. You have this footage. Oh, oh, the movie's almost done. Uh, I worked on it for ages. And oh, like, wow. All, it just, it's very VFX heavy because it's this stuffed llama. And it it's like we puppet, pu- it's like rotoscoping and sh- all this oh, crazy. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about like a script that you want to film one day. Nope. No, no, wow. no, no, no. And it's just been sitting on my hard drive for a decade. And wow. it's like there's no pressure other than like just to get it out for the people who helped make it. And it's uh, just really, really need to finish that. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's. But that's beautiful that you want to finish it and not and not uh not say oh, I'll move on to the next thing. That's my old thing. No, you want to complete it. And a weird, there's no pressure because I'm like not trying to be a filmmaker. What if you do like with Outer Wilds? What if you submit it to some festivals <laughs> and it wins a grand prize? And then you're like, well, now I'll finish it. I do. I do really want to do like from the dir- director and writer of Outer Wilds. Just like really, and people are like, what the hell is this? It's like something we made when we were in like like early college or high school. You know, like just. It's not great. That's <laughs> um, wonderful. It is really goofy, though. Uh, so I don't know. That's, yeah. That's great. And then hopefully down the road, we'll see something new from uh, an actual new thing from Mobius. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> uh, well, I really look forward to to playing the horror game and seeing seeing Larry the Llama. And I'm, <laughs> of course, thrilled to see whatever you folks do next. Yeah, me too. I'm, well, I have no idea. We'll see. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being here, Alex. It's been awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a lot of fun. So I want to thank Alex Beecham once again for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Check out Arter Wilds if you haven't played it already. And that is it for us this week on Humans Who Make Games. I want to thank our producer, Aristotle Acevedo. You can find me at Adam Conover, wherever you'd find those things. And we'll see you next week on Humans Who Make Games. Bye.